0: You've probably heard the advice that you should be networking before you need a job. Have you ever wondered though how to choose where to put your limited time and energy? One of my coaching clients started volunteering for her association and soon after was tasked with the job of picking up the speaker at the airport. Now, I quote the word tasked because it was a true privilege to have 25 minutes of uninterrupted time with a leading professional in her field. But being in the same car is not the end goal. It's that she had done her research ahead of time and knew enough about the speaker to engage in a thoughtful conversation. The result? She got advice from the speaker that she was able to incorporate into her very next business proposal, and it was what made her proposal stand out and her company was selected. If you want to leverage moments like this when the opportunity arises, consider my Intentional Connections Mastermind. You'll learn how to strategically volunteer so your time results in the kinds of connections that will further your business or career. Learn more at robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is known for his business acumen and ability to resolve complex human relations issues. He understands the importance of dynamic leadership and devotes his time to teaching those skills to others author of Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uncover the Lost Art of Connecting on the Job. He has worked with many top brands like Johnson & Johnson, Kerrig, and Blue Cross Blue Shield to help their leaders bring strategic plans to life. He is the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development, an organization focused on coaching mid- to senior-level leaders and their teams. With extensive experience in innovative leadership and management, he possesses the ability to build awareness, create action, and deliver results. Please join me in welcoming Ed Evarts. Thank you, Robbie. It's really great to be here with you today. I'm so glad you were able to make this happen. I know that you, you've you been doing lots of media lately. I was able to check out your website and see all of your shows you've been on. It's really exciting with this new book. But I, I want to have you come on because you and I kind of work in similar spaces. And uh, this is really, really good content. but I always start. I always start with, you know, this ideas around leadership. He has a podcast about leadership and building great relationships. So what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a really great question because as a leadership coach, you know, I oftentimes tell people that there isn't one type of leadership. And leadership really comes from inside and who you want to be and what you think the most successful and impactful qualities that you could have in order to lead in whatever culture or environment you're in. And as we know, there are millions of types of behaviors that somebody could demonstrate. And what you want to do is identify the ones that are going to have the greatest impact in your situation. And, you know, and I would tell you that a couple ring true more often than not, Uh, you know, one is trust and a great leader, whether you like them or not, or, agree with them or not, is somebody that you need to trust and believe that what they're telling you is accurate. And so, you know, I oftentimes tell clients, uh, there's a difference between agreement and understanding. And, you know, I may never get you to agree with me on a topic if we differ on gun control or birth control or religion, right? We may have two opposing views, but I do need as a leader to ensure you understand where I'm coming from. So as as long as you can understand my perspective, even if you don't agree with it, I'm light years ahead of somebody who's trying to uh, agree with you. You know, the other quality that I think is consistent with most uh, leadership styles is clarity. And it's this ability to ensure that folks clearly understand what it is that you're talking about. You know, I love, uh, you know, I heard a few years ago, a client tell me about, you know, their metaphor was. Uh, The Boston Marathon, and with the Boston Marathon, you know, there's 10,000 runners, and when the man or woman at the beginning of the race shoots off the gun, or whatever they do today, I think they don't like shooting guns, so they, you know, hit a horn or do something. You know, the front people are running, but the people in the back are still standing and waiting, and they may be standing and waiting for a minute or two minutes or three minutes, and yeah, uh, you know, and it's very similar to clarity. You know, as a leader, just because you've told everybody something once, you know, doesn't mean that they've heard you correctly. And you need to ensure you go back often uh, to ensure that everybody has
0: heard what it is that you wanted to say. What a great visual! I'm like sitting here thinking about this. This is a great visual, and of course, we're in the Boston area. Um, You're, you know, even though you're you're around the corner from me, we're still doing this digitally. But it's it's a great visual to think about the fact that you know sometimes the people hear you in waves. I mean, they don't hear it all at once, right? And it's important to keep iterating and reiterating what it is that you're you want them to be doing. And and probably some of those people up front can become kind of leaders as well because they're gonna be demonstrating the action that you want everyone to be doing. Like they're gonna be ones like stepping up and so showing people so the, the peer leadership that happens. So it's a really cool metaphor.
1: Yeah. And I think you make a great point about peer leadership. You know, I want all of my clients to be role models. So it's not only helping themselves be successful, but to demonstrate behaviors that others could replicate and mm. spread out across the organization. So, you know, for me, trust and building trust and having clarity are two qualities that I think are are how I define leadership. I mean, there's a million words. Yeah, yeah, pick. right. We could spend this whole time just talking about right this now. <laughs> one topic. But, uh, you know, and for me, I think this is why I do leadership coaching. It's because I think about this topic a lot. And, uh, you know, throughout my professional career, I left each job with a a lesson, and it was something that I specifically thought about and learned about each of the different jobs that I have held, you know, through today. And, uh, you know, for me, very early on, I knew I wanted to, you know, not only help other people be successful, but, you know, do so in very meaningful ways. So I hope, although I know I was not perfect, that I was a good boss and a good leader And I know through my leadership coaching practice that I'm helping others reflect and think about and
0: identify their personal style and way that they can become great leaders as well. So early on, really early on, like childhood and high school and college, you know, were you the kind of person who had these like innate leadership qualities that people saw in you and they were like, inviting you to step into these opportunities or were you kind of quietly watching from the sidelines and you know that you need to be asked 17 times like where do you fall on that and and how did you when did you first be like yes i own this idea of leadership for myself
1: so uh you know i would describe my youth and my time in high school and college as a very highly active observer so i was not the person that people would go to for advice. I was not the person who was elected student body president. You know, I was not doing any of that. I was a very, very active observer. And, you know, there was one quality that I was known most for in my high school and college years was humor and just navigating through situations with a sense of levity and humor versus taking things too seriously, uh, et cetera. And you know, I don't think it was until I started my own practice ten years ago that I, you know, realized the uh, content of what I had been experiencing I could now utilize to help others. And so, mm. you know, most people expect coaches to have a little gray hair and to <laughs> have been around the corner a few times because they expect them to have some insights that somebody who's younger or less experienced wouldn't have. And so you know, it really wasn't until I started my own practice that my confidence in what I do and how I do it, and the uh, you know weight that I put on what I do, you know, really started to come into fruition.
0: And yet, in the career prior to that, you obviously had leadership roles. You know, I that's did. some of the experience you're drawing from today. Is these leadership roles? Um, were they uncomfortable for you when you were first invited to do that, or you know, did you? Say okay, well, I can be a boss. I'm. I'm not sure this leadership stuff, but I, I'll be a boss. And now, of course, you're thinking of those as different things, um, right. and you, know, you can see how they impact each other. Like, how did you respond to those first opportunities? Now, now, it's just so interesting to talk to a leadership coach today who says I was an active observer in my youth, but obviously, in between, you, you know, you had a journey there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I held some, you know, fairly visible. At least I thought so leadership roles within organizations you know my last role was the vice president of human resources at a company called iron mountain and you know there were two or three of us so we reported to the chro who reported to the president and uh you know at the time uh, i thought i was doing a great job i thought i was a highly visible and highly valuable vice president of human resources at the organization. Uh, Two things since then have happened. You know, one was the catalyst for the book, and I mention it in the book, which is uh, you know, two days into my new CHRO starting at Iron Mountain, I went to find this person and introduce myself. And when I found this person and introduced myself, this person said, "You know, I don't hear a lot about you at this organization." And I wish I could think of a brilliant metaphor, but I you know, I just internally just crumbled. Right? I'm like. How is that possible? Right. So it was an extremely uh, meaningful uh, observation that flipped kind of how I saw myself at my organization and industry. And since then, as I've worked with other leaders and I've heard so many stories about what people experience and how they experience it, you know, quite candidly, Robbie, I don't think I was as good a leader as I thought I was at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I was bad. Right, but you know, I had some uh, blind spots in respect to how I operated and how I connected with others. That no one ever said anything to me about. That no one ever gave me any advice about, except one person who was my boss, who was not the chro but a division president. But other than that, you know, I was on my own, chugging along, thinking I'm, you know, saving the world, et cetera. And uh, you know, now I think back and I, I cringe a little bit because I think I've learned some lessons that if I was in those roles again, I would do much differently.
0: Which is why you now have the opportunity to work with people who have these senior positions, who also uh, may have just sort of woken up to the fact that there is better, they could do better, they're doing okay, but they could do better. And part of it, I think, is that they have to adjust the scale of what, what great leadership looks like, you know, like, you know, they only have certain models around them. It's hard to shoot for the stars if no one else is. And but if they start to see, like, oh wow, I could do more. And so I know that the focus of your book is raising visibility and value, your value and visibility in a, in a workplace setting. But just generally speaking, you know, what has been most rewarding about the new the work you've been doing lately? The, this like your current role in the world. Like, what's what's been like the greatest sort of uh, reward for doing that work?
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, in retrospect, uh, everybody could be doing a few things differently in the workplace to be more successful. And these are not conversations that organizations have on a recurring basis. Yes, everybody gets an annual performance review. And yes, people can talk to their boss from time to time, but they're not having, you know, really focused conversations on myself, and what I could do differently in order to be more successful. So, today to present those ideas to clients and have them go back and find a half hour to spend with their boss to not talk about projects and not talk about initiatives but to talk about you know what can I do differently to be more successful you know what can I do differently to be more valuable is extremely meaningful and everyone who's done it which is not everyone because not everyone has the courage to corner their boss and talk about it and bosses react in different ways but Uh, For those that have had the courage to do it, all of them would say that it was a meaningful conversation. And for some of them, they were adding more value than they realized. For some, they realized there was no value they could add. And maybe I'm in the wrong place or I'm in the wrong role. I'm at the wrong organization, whatever it would be. But, you know, it opened a door or created a new path they could go down that not having the conversation never, never Mm. did. So, you know, uh, I love this work. I, I love that I got laid off at Iron Mountain and was forced to <laughs> transition to my own independent career. I wasn't anticipating getting laid off, but it happened. And I started from ground zero. And quite frankly, I, I wouldn't change a thing.
0: So you're one of the many uh, entrepreneurs that emerged out of the uh, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Is that I did, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I
1: didn't know it at the time, but I, you know, I actually lost, uh, actually my position was eliminated in November of 2007. Mm-hmm. And then a key HR leader in the organization left in December of 2007. So my boss came back and said, gee, would you be willing to stay until May of 2008? Which, of course, my answer was, of course, I will. <laughs> so I stayed until 2008, not knowing, of course, when I left on May 31st, 2008, that I was going to be entering into a significant downturn in yeah. the economy. And two quick stories. Uh, one, you know, most consultants would tell you that in 2008, it wasn't just a downturn, but the door closed. You know, Major clients, major enterprise accounts said, uh, we cannot use you any longer this year, and we're not sure we'll ever be able to use you again and they experienced their worst year ever. So here's Ed Everts coming out saying, hey, I want to <laughs> take on the world. And uh, everyone's like, you know, Ed, you know, I don't know that now is the right time. The second, uh, which again helped inspire this book, was I joined a networking group. So there's a networking group called SHERN, which is a senior HR network. And it's a networking group comprised of about 15 to 25 senior HR leaders from New England who are in transition. And so these are people who are, directors or VPs of HR who report to a president or CEO. And I went to my first meeting in May, actually before I left Iron Mountain. And I walked into the room and there were about 25 HR leaders from New England. And guess how many of them I knew?
0: None of them. None. Oh
1: no, Ed. (laughs) I know. It's unbelievable. are your peers. (laughs) Yeah. These are all people. And yeah. Partly because during my career at Iron Mountain, I bled blue and Kept my head down and worked, 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 and never joined a group, never stepped out of the organization, never did anything. And I I still remember going home to my wife that day after that meeting saying, I'm in trouble. I don't know anybody. And 70 to 80% of people find their next opportunity through networking. And so I've got a lot of work to do. And of course, I also decided to investigate uh, starting my own practice and ultimately decided to do that.
0: Yeah. You know, a piece in your book that I, I was saying before we started, I really appreciated was the focus you have on joining an association in your industry. And not that you wait until you need a job, not that you wait until there's a time for a career change, a transition in your career, but you you do it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had that moment a few times. I, I was in fundraising and I joined the Association for Fundraising Professionals. And um, when I became a speaker, I immediately. Like the first month I joined the National Speakers Association and a year later became a professional member. And my theory was I wasn't gonna wait 10 years trying to figure it out on my own and then show up. Right. <laughs> like, let me see how they can help me over the next 10 years. And I just this uh, this month um joined the Meeting Professionals International. And that's because I work more and more with associations around conferences. And someone, you know, from NSA, the Speakers Association, said, you know. You should be going to their meetings, and it's like, duh. <laughs> you know, I teach people about networking, and it was like a blind spot a little bit because sure. she was like, "There's a really active New England chapter, and you know, you can go up to two meetings a year as a as a guest." And okay. then she introduced me to uh, the person who organizes their newsletter. So I submitted some copy that they were very interested in. So it went, you know, the copy went into their newsletter for this month. I then looked at the membership, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to join because I'll have more you know, it'll be easier for me to have this conversation as a member. Uh, and then I went to the first meeting and I met half the board <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and followed up with all of them that night. And, uh, you know, I really think probably the next, you know, month or so, they're going to be like, can you do this, this, and this? And I'm like, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, and then I'll have to start saying no again, because it's too much. But it's it's like, there's a way that very quickly and easily you can become known. And and it's really about being visible and it's about offering value. Mm-hmm. Um And for me, it's about not doing it like if I had just shown up like twice in a a year as a guest, it would not have had an impact. I needed to go a few times and really be a little all-in for a short period of time. And I can't necessarily make every meeting for the year, but I don't need to because if I do it right in the next few months, six months from now, they're still going to know who I am when I show up and I'm still going to be offering something to them and still building relationships outside of those meetings. So... So if you're not in your industry association and you're listening, like go, (laughs) go right now, figure out how to do it. But you also in this book have a whole, it's like you have a little dear diary sections for like, what are the people thinking? (laughs) And it's like, oh, I really wanted to go to the meeting, but I answered the phone as I was leaving the office and I got sucked into a a 90 minute conversation that I thought was going to only be 10 minutes. Next month I'll go. Okay. Next month's coming, you know, oh, happened again. Oh, Oh, happened again. Oh. You know, five times later, like I ah, forget it. I don't think it's worth it. Like, some of it's like you have got to place importance on it. I think um, you coming from a place where you hadn't been doing that, and then seeing the value. I think it's easy for you now to share that knowledge. Are your clients receptive to that feedback? Is that something that people are like, "Oh, yeah, it makes sense," and then they act on it, or are they still? Is there still some resistance to taking that kind of proactive measure?
1: Well. Uh, Part of that perspective comes from the fact that I lived that life, right? So one of the advantages of writing about it and talking about it is, you know, that was me. And, you know, the reasons I didn't join those groups and participate is because there was always something and there always will be something that interrupts this desire and interest in joining a group. And we only have so much energy to devote to any particular topic and, you know, a few swings at the bat. And if I don't hit, I move on. And so, you know, those are real insights and real observations that people have. And, you know, this is a new area for a lot of people. Uh, you know, what you described earlier is an extremely classic model that somebody who's employed and working, whether in an organization or as an independent, uh, doesn't believe and doesn't think that they have the time to participate. And so they just don't. And then something happens where the, co- the company closes or there's an acquisition or there's a realignment, and suddenly they are looking for their next role and they need it now more than ever. And they need to know these people and they need to be parties, uh, a party to these organizations, et cetera. So I'm trying to help people move it a little bit earlier so that when you find that you might be in transition from a role, or it could be elective, you could be deciding you want to move on and you know it's a great company, et cetera, but you want to move on to your next role, uh, the, the relationships that you need and the people and avenues you can follow are already there. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I give an example in the book, you know, it's kind of like being in a, you know, signing up to be in a golf tournament on Saturday and Friday before is the first time you hit a golf ball, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not how it works. <laughs> and it's similar to, uh, employment and looking, you know, starting to network once you've lost your job too late, is not the right. Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. And that's yeah. the lesson I learned that day. I left that SHERN meeting and there were 25 people in the room and I did not know one of them. And I said, you know, where have I been all this time? How could I right. not walk into a room of fellow HR leaders and say, hey, everyone? And they're like, hey, Ed. You know, I yeah. didn't even know any of them. So uh, I think it can be done. I, I think I've made the turn. And, uh, you know, today, you know, I could beat my chest and say I'm a highly networked, highly visible leadership coach in New England. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I yeah. was just another person.
0: You're just Ed. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: just Ed. Yeah, Ed, a guy in transition.
0: Right, and a lot of people who don't realize that that's a missing piece uh, of what they need to be doing, and it that it's actually um, far easier. I guess I'll. I, I want. I want to go on to another other section of this interview, but I want to just sort of think about this for a minute, though, because I know when I'm talking to people about um, building relationships, about networking, about um, finding the people that they, they don't yet have in their network and connecting with them, uh, that there's this ick factor. Uh, and the ick factor, and this is this from a Harvard study, uh, is actually that people do think that networking is like this dirty word, it makes them feel dirty. It's because they're going at a time when they need something. If you go to these spaces, these association meetings, these networking events, at a time in your career when you don't need, like you're not desperately looking for work or a job, you're maybe even there to pass along suggestions about what's going on in your field, offering best practices, telling people about openings that are in your you know, firm. You, you, the more senior you are on the chain, the less you feel like there's an ick factor because you are not walking in to, to do transactions. You're offering actual value or building relationships. So if you go out in the world and do these things before you need to, you're gonna feel much better about it. And when you actually do need something, it won't feel desperate. Because you already have that connections around you to like, you know, hey, I, I hit a I hit a low point, <laughs> I, need, I need a little help now, right. you know, and, and people are like, oh, sure, you know, you, Ed, you've been helping me all along, so I, I this that's the other piece I would just get in people's heads is like the delay in doing it is actually going to make it even harder to do. I mean, like, no one loves okay, I love networking, so but no one really loves. It. I mean, it's it's hard to do. You have to still get your energy up. So walking in proactively is is really. Um, kind of a benefit to you. It's just, you've got to know, someone needs to tell you to do it. So I'm so glad, Ed, you're out there as this leadership <laughs> coach to tell people that. Here's my question, though. I know, I just gave my whole observation there. Um, I was wondering, you know, what, as you made this shift into being a solopreneur, what was the biggest challenge for you in setting up your business and getting a practice going? Like, And how did you overcome that challenge? Like, what, what was sort of the roadblock in doing that?
1: Sure, and just to comment quickly on Mm -hmm. your last observation, I completely agree on the "ick" factor. Uh, You know, networking as a word has been hijacked, and it's an energy drainer. So, I just spoke with a group yesterday of folks that are in transition. You know, as soon as you say the word networking, their eyes roll. Right? I mean, they just they just hate it. And so that's part of where the book title comes from. In my mind, it's raising your visibility. How do you be more visible in your organization and industry than you are today? Yeah. So lessons, yeah, you know, I think, you know, my biggest lessons really came as I transitioned from what I call corporate to consulting, recognizing that in addition to being an ongoing expert in coaching, and I've been a generalist my whole HR career where I was an expert to a certain point, and then you needed to go to somebody else to get expert benefit information, expert training information, or expert recruiting information. I wanted to be more of a specialist in coaching and and be that expert. So, you know, I continue to learn every day. I continue to listen to my clients and learn from my clients, et cetera. But the biggest and hardest transition has been in building my own practice. Right. So whether I was a coach or an auto mechanic or an attorney, you know, whatever I was doing independently, I also needed to realize that I also needed to build a practice around doing it. And so I am a solopreneur. I do have a social media person who helps me post information on a recurring basis, because I found that I didn't have the discipline to do it as regularly as I wanted to. And if I could pay someone to do it who did it religiously, fantastic, right? So we have that relationship going on. But you know, other than that, I am the one person who does everything. I market my services. I sell my services. I deliver my services. Mm-hmm. I do all of my scheduling. I do all of my rescheduling, right? I mean, it's bad enough to just get something scheduled, but it's a killer when they come back in one week and say, oh, I can't meet, et cetera. Uh, You know, I manage all of my finances. I manage all of my travel expenses. I submit everything which I'm working on right now for my CPA to do our taxes, et cetera. So, you know, realizing I needed to do all that and owning it so that I could look back and say, hey, I'm really proud of what I accomplished has been a huge lesson Mm. and uh you know there's not a lot of resources out there other than our friend the internet where you can you know get insight into hey what am i going to need to do or how am i going to need to do it i you know i uh you know so just to reiterate the you know the learning piece in opening your own business uh you know part of it also is identifying somebody uh from a marketing perspective so Mm. i was very fortunate due to my relationship with the international coach federation to find a group that did marketing and the person who just thinks exactly like I think, Mm. and now she does most of my marketing pieces. So my holiday card, uh, you know, anything that I do that goes out to the public, I give to her to do and everything comes back probably 95% exactly the way I would want it. There's always a little tweak or something you didn't realize that you need to modify. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess you know, just also having some resources that can help you can be very, very. Yeah, wise.
0: so a lot of people, when I speak to them, they say <laughs> that the piece that they give up quickly is the financial part. But you were like, I'm okay doing that because I can just kind of like, I, you know, I'll crunch the numbers. I'm happy to do that. But like, this is creative piece that I want done really well, and and uh, consistent. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so you, yeah. it sounds like the people that you ended up bringing on as you know part of your your extended team were to do help you with. Various kinds of marketing and PR. Um, you know, your your graphic designs and your social media presence. Um, and it's smart to, to understand what parts of it you're you're like happy to own, uh, mm-hmm. what parts you're willing to do, and what parts you're like, uh, if I could find somebody else to do this, that would be great. Um, you know, because you can't, you know, even though you are, it is, it's your job. I mean, you are the whole business. There's still ways you have to sort of pull people in but you know, there's there's like still always that concern as you're, you know, reaching success. And you've clearly, you know, this book seems to be like a culmination of what you've learned over the last decade, uh, well, a lifetime, but especially in the last decade in this this field as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still this like fear around being wrong or even failing. So in that sense, like what what are you not so good at? Like what are the what are the aspects of all of this that are the most challenging for you? Um, and, and, and how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, what are the, what are the parts that you're like, ah, you know, if I never have to do that again, I'd love that. (laughs) Right. Well, Robbie, you know, I'm, I'm good at everything. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, so, um, right. So the fiduciary part is a big responsibility for a variety of reasons, but certainly for our friend, the tax man, we need to ensure that as an independent consultant, that we are capturing everything that we need to capture uh, my wife is highly fiduciary, and so that's why I manage it because we need to ensure that it's done well. And if there's something that I need to keep and hold and track really well, it's that. Uh, you know, scheduling. You know, I think is a little bit of a nightmare. And anytime I start a new client, I tell that person that I want to get on their calendar six months of meetings every other week, same day, same time. So every other Tuesday 1 to 2:30 or every other Wednesday you know 8 to 9 whatever it might be and that helps them and that helps me smart but it takes time to do that and then as i mentioned most of my clients you know all of my clients are employed and so sometimes the call of business is higher than the call of this meeting and so they need to make a change you know typically it's somewhat last minute so it's a day or two before we're meeting, and now we need to go back in and reschedule. And for me, there's a big difference between rescheduling and canceling, because canceling means you're skipping it and not doing it. Rescheduling means you're doing it, but just at a different time. And I wanna do that. I wanna ensure our motivation and momentum is continuing. And in my mind, anytime you cancel, you whittle away a little bit at that momentum. And now it's been a month since you've met. And now you've got right. to spend time catching up everything that's happened over the last month, etc. So, you know, that takes time. And mm-hmm. that takes time. So,
0: so Ed, actually, you uh, used a tool of mine as you were signing up for this uh, podcast interview. Uh, so I use Schedule Once for that. There's a few different um, tools out there that link to a calendar. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that might work for these rescheduling uh, when there's a conflict, like, you know, you book out the six months every other week and you have a standards, you know, you can, you can put the appointment in their calendar and they know they have it. But maybe when you have to make a quick change like this, you could say, great, go to this link and it's a 90 minute, you, know, you can even have it preset for 90 minutes and they can go look at your calendar and just choose a time. And you say, pick a time this week just so we don't lose any momentum. Um, right. th- there might be a way to like work some technology into this to help a little bit. Because for me, I used to be really reluctant to take a lot of, you know, coffee, you know, the coffee dates. I did a lot of those, yeah. but I, but what I did early on was I started scheduling them right before my job started. So, like, I had a ten o'clock start time, so I met with people at eight thirty or nine o'clock at a coffee shop near my office, and so sometimes two or three days a week, I'd be there, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. at five minutes to ten, I'd run out the door yeah. <laughs> to my <laughs> office. Because I otherwise like the scheduling and the trying to figure out where and when and the travel time. And now the, the advent of all of these tools, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later, um, has made it possible for me to do a lot more and a lot more virtual, too. I mean, um, you know, that, the fact that we're talking to each other over video chat right now mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. Um, mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. things weren't, I mean, even in, when you got started, these things weren't readily available. So,
1: Right, right. So let me ask you about your scheduler. Is that also your calendar? Mm. Or do you have to go in and do you manage a calendar and manage the so, system that people can? You know, so schedule what you
0: do on? is you basically tell Schedule One's uh, sort of office hours that you want to be available during the week. Um, so I tell it, you know, certain certain days of the week, certain hours of the week. Um, so for instance, like there's no weekend availability through that link because mm-hmm. that's different for me. Um, and then it integrates with my Google Calendar. So once someone selects, they'll they'll get uh, an email. That will go. They'll be able to put it right onto their own calendar, mm-hmm. um, and then you can set it up to have some reminder emails as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that go out, and um, if they have to change it, they could. There's a link in the calendar uh, invite or on the calendar appointment that they can then reschedule right through that link. So I've also scheduled 20 minute calls with people, or they've you know, scheduled them with me, and then they'll they'll switch it <laughs> for like later that afternoon, and it just automatically those get done. Um, right. But I have my longer sessions so that I have to confirm them, and occasionally I've had two come in at the same time for the same time. You know, but it's so rare though. But usually, you know, you confirm them quickly enough, and that won't happen. Yeah. Um, but I, and it's nice. So it just I don't know. It just frees it up. And what part of what I tell people is it gives you access to the, my most availability over the next two weeks, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than me saying to you, here are three dates and times. Cause that's all I'm going to you know, give, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to in an email, give them like 15 options, but, it, but through this, this, uh, tool, I can give them all the options and then they can choose the one that's actually most convenient to them. Right, right.
1: Well, you're reminding me of probably my second area of weakness or that I need to focus on more, which is commuting. So I've always prided myself on being a one-to-one in-face leadership coach. And whether it's an hour meeting or a ninety-minute meeting, hey, you're going to meet Ed, right? And we're going to meet at a location that's convenient for you, et cetera. And you know, I'm just finding as time passes, uh, you know, the roads are getting busier and busier. And you know, anytime your commute is longer than your meeting, you've got a problem, right? Because mm-hmm. you're now traveling longer than you're actually meeting the person that yeah. you're traveling to see. So I've, you know, I've got to figure out ways to solve that as well. You know, where I live is, uh, has great access to most of the highways and main roads of the Boston area, yet only from like 10 to two are they kind of free, (laughs) right? Anything before 10 or anything after two, you're going to get stuck. So that's not a huge window. So that's another area for me that I need to think about in 2018 in my practice, which is, you know, how do I integrate video and telephone more? Well, actively? the good news
0: is that if you do practice, like expand your practice in that way, you could also cover a larger geography.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
0: you could get a Dallas client, and you won't right. feel like you're offering them anything less than what you're right. offering someone who lives, you know, 17 miles away, which in Boston is about an hour and a half. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is. It is uh, depending on the time of day, right? So, um, particularly when I speak to someone on this uh, show that are entrepreneurs, and um, but but also uh, the people who are listening who have day jobs, but their day jobs don't stay at the office. So like, there's always this like you bring the work home with you. You're always thinking about it, particularly when you love it. Like if you love your work, there's not really necessarily like an off switch, but there is a sense that you know we all have that we're supposed to have some sort of work-life balance or maybe integration is more accurate of a term these days. Uh, When do you know you're not at work? Like, how do you know that 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 transition has happened or or maybe that doesn't happen for you?
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen. So, you know, typically my clients, you know, work a normal standard workday. And so, you know, anytime before eight o'clock, I'm probably not going to be active with a client. And anytime after, you know, 5 or 5.30, I'm not going to be active with a client. I do tell my active clients that I am available 24-7, which means anytime they need me and not waiting for a meeting, right? Because I might have something urgent to tell Ed, but mm. we're not meeting for another two weeks, right? So call me. Mm. And you know, every once in a while, not often, you know, I'll get a client who needs to speak with me. And the only time they could speak is seven o'clock tonight or on a weekend. And, you know, looking at my calendar, if I can do it, I will. Uh, because I want to be highly accessible. I mean, being accessible is one of the seven visibility accelerators. And that means when somebody needs you, you need to honor that request and to treat it respectfully, which means I'm also going to be responsive and say, hey, I can or I can't. But here's when I can or I can't. But here's someone else who can't. Right. But I'm going to help keeping you moving forward and not just you know be a roadblock and say, oh, I, I can't talk with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to be highly accessible to my clients. And I want to be highly responsive to my clients
0: so what are the do you have any practices daily or weekly that you do to kind of kind of find that downtime and and re-energize?
1: So uh, you know not really, you know I think the nature of the work is such that it happens naturally, so you know every once in a while uh, you know I'll call it you know I get the uh, spousal eye roll, which is uh, I can't believe you're taking that call right now or. Hey, we were just having a conversation. Why did you take that phone call? That type of thing. Uh, you know, I can get a little carried away yeah. sometimes if somebody who is important is calling or somebody whose message I don't want to have them leave that I want to talk live with, etc. But it doesn't happen that often. So, you know, I don't need a practice.
0: I think there should be an association for spouses of solopreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. I really, I mean, if, Let's go find it right after this call. I want to find it. Google it. If I find it, I'm going to put it in the show notes cuz like that's a special breed right there. So, um, you know, over the last 10 years and in your careers prior to that, your professional network has continued to expand. You know, you had sort of the people that you knew through your workplaces, then you started thinking on an industry wide scale, then you became an entrepreneur and so you now, I mean, you and I know each other through the National Speakers Association, mm-hmm. so you have a whole other set of, of ways that you think about connecting with people. Are you doing anything uh, purposeful or consciously to nurture those relationships, those sort of, not your closest connections, but those weaker ties? Like, do you have any kind of you know thoughtful plan around sustaining those connections?
1: Well, you know, tying it back to your earlier question about... Uh you know when did i feel like i was a leader or when could i be a leader i also believe as time passes that i've become more purposeful and you know it has to do with just time passing and becoming more and more of an expert in a particular area and so when i first started as a leadership coach back in 2008 i would do anything for anyone you know if they paid me to do a training class or you know whatever it was i would say yes and today i You know, I do primarily leadership coaching, which is working one-on-one with leaders to help them be more successful. But I have two other areas that I've begun to explore very purposefully. One is team coaching, because my clients aren't the only ones that need help being more successful. Teams need to be more successful, and everybody who's listening, who's been on a team, I'm sure shaking their head, saying, "Yeah, I can think of a couple of teams Mm -hmm. that could use some help." And then the other is strategic thinking and planning, and it's helping leaders think more strategically source strategic insight from the organization and then put them into practice. And most organizations are great or pretty good at collecting and developing a strategic plan. They are horrible
0: at executing They're really good documents to put in the top drawer. (laughs) And then it's like, what, was that a five-year plan? Okay, we'll look at it again in four and a half years. Brush it off.
1: Yeah, well, we laugh, but that's typically what uh, people do, yeah.
0: That's true. I mean, I've been through several of them that way. And it's like... For people who are a part of it, who really believe that change is possible, it's demoralizing. And um, some people know that's the game and other people are like, no, we really can make these changes. So I actually wanted to help you think about actually your your individual connections in your network. And all the, like you and I, like those kinds of connections. Are you you doing any kind of, um, like you mentioned the phone quite a bit in this interview. And and so many of my guests forget to the phone is a mode of communication. (laughs) They're like, don't use it anymore. (laughs) They have a pocket computer, but they forget that it makes phone calls. Do you have a, a list of people that you're trying to stay in touch with? Do you host dinners or organize gatherings or check in with people at random times? Like, Do you have any sort of process around that?
1: So I tell everyone that I talk with, and I actually spoke to a networking group yesterday morning, that the one asset they have that nobody else has is their network. And while there might be some overlaps, like you and I have two different networking groups, but I'm sure we know some of the same people. So you'll typically overlap with others, but beyond yourself, an asset that you have in the marketplace that no one else has is your uh, network. And so I have an Excel spreadsheet where I track my network. And these are friends, colleagues, families, Coworkers, former coworkers, who you know, typically if they saw me in the street would say, "Hey, Ed." You know, so it's not people who I met once six years ago at a conference that if they saw me again they wouldn't really know me. I mean, these are people who you know, I think it's important that they remind me. One thing I do every year is, and it sounds uh, highly parochial, is I send a holiday card. So I have this list of you know, 500 people, and every year they're going to get a holiday card from me. And I have that great graphic designer who I mentioned earlier, create a great holiday card. And I spend time for everybody putting, you know, Robbie, you know, and Ed. So I also mm-hmm. signed them all so because mm-hmm. I want them to know that I touched it. And then we send them. And uh, it's if anything, it's a, a reminder that they're important in my network. But also I want them to remember that I'm around, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if people don't hear from you over a period of time, they're going to assume you're not doing what you were doing before. It's like people who are in transition looking for the next role. If you're not updating people on your progress, they're going to think you've been placed. Yeah. And then you call them and say, hey, I'm still looking. Oh God, I hadn't heard from you. I thought you had been placed. So you need to keep them updated on how you're doing, You know, companies you talk to, progress you've been making, just like you and I need to keep our network updated on things that we've done, accomplishments we've had, et cetera. And so it's highly parochial, but it's a great way to Ensure that your network knows that you're still actively doing this and what's going on, et cetera. Every once in a while, if I come across a great article uh, that I think applies to some people, I'll you know find some time to send it to them. Uh, so I do like those occasional touch-ins. I'm not a big fan of newsletters and things of that nature, but you know I do think you need to touch in with clients over the course of a year just to ensure that they know. And remember that you're out there.
0: So, uh, Liz Scully was on the show uh, a few episodes ago, and her practice is on Christmas Day. She sends private Facebook messages to people, wishing them uh, Merry Christmas. Um, and she says she does it because you can't automate it. Mm-hmm. You have to think of them and go to their page and send them a message. Mm-hmm. And so I did that this year, and. I have to also make note of which of my contacts don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so I might next time do a happy new year's <laughs> touch yeah, point great idea. because it will be, I mean, I, I had a moment in my head, but it, it was actually funny because I was raised Jewish. My wife, you know, was raised with a Christmas tree. So we have a little bit of everything in our house, but The people I knew who were Jewish, I would say, hey, what movie? And how's the Chinese food? You know, it's like, (laughs) that's what I did growing up. And I would get great responses (laughs) from the people who I knew. Like, that's how they're celebrating today. Like, it's like they go to the movies. Um, So, but, you know, sometimes the responses for a few people came like a week later, you know, because they they saw it or didn't respond right away. Um, But it was some really nice connecting points during the sort of a quiet time of the year that led to a few conversations and I just made I just sort of went through it and Liz Scully was one of the people that I sent this note to and I actually did a little bit moji so it was like a little graphic yeah, of, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she replied, you yeah, beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> we um, love that. So I'm actually working on my holiday cards, which if I get out by by March, I will feel good about it. I feel like if it's in the Q1, I'm still it's still in the beginning of the year. Um, and I've been thinking about how to integrate it into the, my business uh, connections as well. But I I like what you're saying. You clearly have identified a group of people that you want to stay in touch with. Um, You have this spreadsheet. I use Contactually for a lot of that, which really sets reminders for me. And and, um, I'm not diligently in there every single day, but when I make a new connection, they kind of go into one bucket. And if I follow up and we stay in touch, they go, you know, move to another one. So I make it sort of a longer term relationship. Yeah, but once once you get it up and running, it's easy to maintain, right? Oh, yeah. Any system you create is going to have like a lag time as you're building it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to actually just touch on this question, though, around building a diverse network, because that's, it sounds like another piece that you, all, you and I share is this concept that you can't be insular in, in the way you build your network. It can't be just the people who have the same experience uh, and history and desires as you, but there has to be a broader sense of that. What are the ways that you're doing that? And like, um, is it happening just by, by, by happenstance or is there again like that sort of purposeful nature to it?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I describe it as kind of a hamster wheel of activity. So for example, I'm looking to speak more than I have in the past, as you know. So there is a hamster wheel for speakers and this is the industry and the people and the connections and the documents, you know, all the things that you need in order to have it self fulfill itself, so I think I'm kind of there. At least I hope I'm there from a coaching perspective. Where now, uh, you know, I get more calls coming in than I make going out for opportunities, and they don't all turn into engagements. But you know, it's a sales funnel, so you need more opportunities and actual engagements mm-hmm. to get with. But you know, I think it's self fulfilling, and I think it's working purposefully from a marketing perspective, a sales perspective. a a networking perspective, to repeatedly with optimism and persistence be out there until finally you're on that hamster wheel. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It it is sort of like, there's a lot of work that goes into uh, establishing yourself, but maintaining that visibility is much easier. And there's a way in which you kind of do it in one area of your life, one hamster wheel, and then you can sometimes even sort of borrow some of that expertise and visibility sure. into another yeah. area. I tend to work with a lot of um, uh, professional women, uh, particularly coaches and speakers who are in their fifties mm, sort of later part of their career, second career kind of things because they don't want to waste time, but they're, they're transitioning into a new space. They maybe were working and now they're consulting or they were consulting on one area, but they're expanding their practice to another area mm-hmm. and they realized, you know, the first time this took me two decades <laughs> to really establish myself. I don't have two decades to do this. I need to right. do it in three years. Right. How do I do it? And that's right. like, there are ways to do this a little more systematized. Um, and over time, people do get a little, hopefully get better. And if not, they work with, you know, coaches. That's that's what we're here to do. Yeah.
1: Well, I, yeah. Think, you know, I think structure can help. So uh, everybody's going to have a different networking style. Everyone's going to have a different set of networking activities, there may be things certain people are doing that you don't believe you ever could do. And there are probably things I'm doing that you would feel the same way mm-hmm. about, right? But right. the key is to know what your strategy is and to do it on a recurring basis. And I think when you do things on a recurring basis, you know, and for the last 10 years, I've sent a holiday card out. So, you know, I, I, you know I'm know, i hoping or not people know at this point that they're probably going to get a holiday card, right? Because they've seen a recurring pattern. Yeah, yeah. And like your colleague, Liz, you know, I, I sign them for a reason. And that's because I want right. people to know that this is to them. You know, I've gotten holiday cards from colleagues. That's just the card and it doesn't say Ed and it doesn't say from whoever, it's just the card. And I personally believe that if they had taken an extra five seconds to put, you know, Hey, Ed and from whomever, it's going to have a different impact on me. Yes, and, actually. Yeah. And yeah. I, mean, I just, I just want it to have that type of impact so that people feel good about you know, a holiday wish and knowing that it has a personal
0: touch to it nice. I love this it's it's about high touch adding adding more value to it. Um, so Ed, I know we're going to have the opportunity to see each other over the next year, but if we were sitting down a year from now and we were celebrating all of your successes, what will we be celebrating what What are you looking forward to over the next year?
1: Yeah, so I'm looking to experience more team coaching. So as I mentioned earlier, it's a early part of the business so it takes a while to get it up and running. So right now I'm spending more time practicing talking about it with clients and that talk will turn into further discussions etc. I'm looking to do more strategic thinking and planning with organizations and I think most importantly I'm looking to do more public speaking about raising your visibility and value. I would love you know not to be just a speaker but to have you know one to two nice speaking engagements per month talking about how to help people identify and then raise their visibility and value within their organizations and industry. So I would love and I hope a year from now that we sit back and I could tell you some great stories of how all those came to be. That would be amazing. Um, So Ed,
0: how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Sure. They can go to my website at excellius.com. That's E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S. Dot com, or they can email me, ed, ed, at excelius.com, or they can call me.
0: <laughs> great. We will put all the links in the show notes. We're also going to put links to your book, Raise Your Visibility and Value, um, and other ways to connect with you, like through LinkedIn, etc. cetera. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Robbie. This was a great, great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ed. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 84. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget, if you want to do less and achieve more, check out what I put together for you at robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. If you enjoyed this episode with Ed, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe. So you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze Podcast at
1: www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.